The following message is entitled, The Eternal Word, Part 10. This message was given during the morning service on March 5, 2023, at the Eastside Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois, by Pastor John Stevens. John chapter 1. So yeah, as I was saying, if you could pray for him tonight, that would be great. As he's uh, dealing with a very difficult passage to preach, challenging, Psalm 105. It would be impossible for me to preach that in one sermon, but he's going to attempt to do a good portion of it. So, For us, uh, we're in the uh, first Sunday of every month, is just to remind you, again, I preach three different passages every month. First Sunday of the month, we're in Gospel of John, verses 1 to 5 right now. Middle Sundays of the month, I'm in First Timothy chapter 1. And last Sunday of the month, I'm in Titus chapter 2. So that's where we are again now for the first Sunday of the month in John chapter 1. As you can see in the note sheet, the overwhelming title that I've given for the entire gospel is Communion Credentials. Make sure you have the right note sheet. It says at the top, one for Sunday school, one for Communion Credentials. The Sunday school one is done. So you'll want the one that says Communion Credentials at the top that shows the sunset on the cross. That's the one we're in. The other one was for Sunday school at 9.30. Does anybody need a note sheet? She's got it. You have it? Okay. The title continues for this series, The Eternal Word, and the section that we're looking at, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, is the first series. Series number one, as it says at the top of your note sheet, Communion Credentials, series number one, The Wonder of Christ's Life. And the stage is set for Christ's introduction to humanity as the eternal God-man. Between the purple dotted lines is review at the top. Uh, the deity of Christ, verses 1 to 5. That's the first Roman numeral in the series 1. Let's read this as you follow in the scriptures. I will read out loud. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was the light of life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So this is Roman numeral one. This speaks to the deity of Christ, as your note sheet shows. And we began with letter A under Roman numeral one, the beginning, the word was God, verses one to two. And was is not referring to, that does not mean that he isn't now in verse 1. In the word was God, it doesn't mean that he's not now. This is a description of Christ when he was on earth. That's why the past tense. Now currently we're in letter B under Roman numeral 1 at the top. The beginning, being life and light through the word, verses 3 and three to 5. And the beginning... Point one under that, the beginning all came into being through the word. Verse 3, all things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. Now, we finished that last time. In, in your note sheet, you can see under the dotted line and under the Greek textual note, uh, we'll start verse 4 and point number 2 in a moment, but just to remind you that the Bible doesn't teach evolution. And there's no evolution in the Bible. 
heretical evangelicals try to put evolution in the Bible. Uh, the Bible teaches creation ex nihilo, out of nothing God made everything. And he did it instantaneously. Instantaneously, in other words, in six days. Not through a process of um, universal evolutionary process that is self-sustaining. So you can see that in verse 3. All things came into being through him. All of it. So there was no evolutionary timeline. So when anyone teaches evolution and claims to be a Christian, they're denying the Genesis account. That's a fundamental of the faith. You can't be saved if you deny the Genesis account. Why? Because the Genesis account teaches that man fell. Adam and Eve were real, and Adam fell. And when he fell, Adam and Eve fell because of sin. The world became depraved, requiring a salvation through Jesus Christ. To reject the creation account is to reject Adam and Eve. To reject Adam and Eve is to reject the fall of creation and sin coming into the world. And to reject that means is to reject Christ. Because Christ came to save people from their sins. So everything in our society teaches evolution. It's assumed to be true. It's in our schools from grade school on up. A Christian is to resist that and to reject it. Now I wanted to bring up this issue of was a little more in depth in the Greek note, in your note sheet, where it says Christ the word in verses 1 and 2 is described by the Greek verb to be a me equals was equals always was. So the word was, verse 1, the word was, See that was in verse 1, word was with God? That's what's in your Greek text note, Amy. Okay. And the word was God, same Amy. And then verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. So as your note sheet says, always was. This is eternality. You can write it on the blank line or lines. This verb to be, was, refers to his eternal state, always was. He was in the beginning at creation. He was in the beginning with God. So you have him there in Genesis 1 and verse 1, always with God before Genesis 1 and verse 2. This is his eternality. He always existed. So anyone who says Jesus Christ was the prophet or just the Michael the archangel, as Jehovah's Witnesses say, this is heresy, this is false. So this, these verbs to be in verses 1 and 2 speak to his eternality. So was isn't referring so much to past time as it is referring to always. Again, it's imperfect tense, referring to the back, back towards the past, but always in the past. But notice in verse 3 now, all things came into being through him. It doesn't say all things were through him. It just came into being. This is different. And again, you can write it down in, under the Greek text. A different verb is used for came into being. Creation came into being. It didn't always exist. So notice the contrast. In verses 1 and 2, God, Christ, always was. Verse 3, creation did not always exist. There was a beginning, perfect tense. Perfect tense in Greek represents a period mark on a sheet with an arrow going to the right. A moment of beginning that continues now to today. Came into being as perfect active indicative. 
refers to creation. There was a starting point for creation. Again, not an evolutionary process with no beginning. Evolutionists say sometime in the, in the past, billions of years ago, in the primordial puddle, some type of spark became. That's not what the Bible teaches. There was a point in time when time was created, six-day creation, creation began. So the coming into being is a different verb. This just shows you how accurate the Bible is. There's no confusion even with verb tenses, even with the use of verbs. So creation came into being in verse 3 from the was always there God, verses 1 and 2. God is eternal, creation is not. Write that down under Greek text note. Creation came into being at a moment in time from the always was there God. God is eternal, creation is not. Creator cannot be created or uncreated. Christ was never created. The word is referring to Christ in verses 1 and 2. He's Jehovah's God, Jehovah God of the Old Testament. Go to John chapter 8. The Pharisees had a problem with him in John 8. Look at verse 42. He's in an all-out confrontation with the Pharisees. John chapter 8, verse 42. Jesus said to the Pharisees who were fighting with him at this point, If God were your father, you would love me. So this is, he's talking to apostates to claim to be saved, claim to have faith in Jehovah God. The Pharisees did. They were the most conservative religious figures on the planet. They verified and promoted the Old Testament, but of course they counteracted it with their man-made rules. They're inherent legalists. And Jesus, in verse 42, shows they're not saved. They're apostates. They claim to be saved, but they're not. If God were your father, you would love me. So you can't love the father and hate Christ. For I proceeded forth. That's the eternal procession of Christ. He always was coming forth from God. For I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. The father sent the son. Now notice verse 43. Unbelievers can't understand this. No, no unbeliever can understand truth. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. No apostate. No unbeliever can understand the Bible. Verse 44. You have your father the devil. All apostates are sourced under the lordship of Satan. Fake believers. And they want to do the desires of your father. As I've told you many times, we've had apostates always come through our church. And uh, apostates, you know, we can start to think, well, so-and-so, they're, they're victims. Apostates are fake believers that pretend to be saved in churches. But they don't know any better. They're just victims. I feel so bad for them. And some have said to me, it's terrible that they would go to hell. We need to pray for apostates to get saved. They can't be saved. Well, that's terrible. They're victims. They're not victims. Verse 44 shows that. You are of your father Satan and you want to do the desires of your father. That's what apostates are. They're wicked and they know it. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in them. So when a person claims to be saved and is not standing in truth, doesn't know truth, doesn't care about truth, but claims to be a believer, they stand with their Lord. Their Lord is Satan. He does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. 
Whenever he speaks a lie, which goes back to John 8.33, he speaks from his own nature. His nature is a liar. So an apostate is not an innocent victim. An apostate is a liar. Go back to verse 33. They answered and said, We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved by anyone. They're liars. Some primary mark of a fake believer is all they do is lie over and over and over again. Verse 45, but I speak the truth, you do not believe me. This is an unwinnable battle. You can't convince Christ to sin and you can't convince the Pharisees to be saved. Verse 54, Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. So he's attacking the issue that he's a rogue prophet. He's not. The Father glorifies the Son. That means that the Son is God. Again, he confronts their lack of conversion. Verse 55, you have not come to know him, but I know him, and I say that I do not know him. If I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. Notice he confronts the apostate Pharisees as liars. But I do know him and keep his word. As the master, so is the slave. He keeps it perfectly. His slaves keep it imperfectly. Go back to verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. See, this is a mark of true belief. This is a mark of true belief. Obedience to the word. Keeping the word. Verse 51, verse 55. They're not listening to any of it. Verse 57, so the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham. They have no clue. And then he gives a statement of absolute divinity in verse 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. That's the burning bush statement of eternality of Jehovah God. They knew it, verse 59. That's why they picked up stones to throw at him, to stone him for blasphemy. Jesus is fully God. Keeping my word, then, in verse 51, verse 55, this is a key phrase in the Gospels for a true believer. If anyone keeps my word. This is a true sign of salvation. It's a third-class condition, interestingly, in verse 51. If anyone keeps my word. That raises some doubt in the Greek. Third-class condition means probable with some doubt. Because he's talking to two different groups in front of him. The Pharisees who are apostates who can't be saved and then followers who are truly saved. So that's why it's a third-class condition in the Greek. Teresi. And the doubt is that not keeping his word would be an evidence of false conversion. A true sign of conversion is keeping the word. John 5 says the same thing. If you love me, you'll keep the word. This is essential. What Christ is saying is you can examine yourself. In order to keep the word, you've got to know it. In order to know it, you've got to study it. You have to be deep into the book. It's not miracles. 
It's not experiences. It's not speaking in tongues. It is keeping his word. That is singular in verses 51 and verse 55. And this is the eternal I am saying this in verse 58. The priority is the Bible. It always has been, always will be. If you disobey the word of God and never repent of it, if you don't know the Bible, you don't spend time in it, I don't care what your profession is. You're not proven to be saved because you made a profession. You're proven to be saved because you show the evidences of true conversion. And this is singular. This is a Mount Everest evidence from the eternal I am. Perfect God in flesh, Jesus Christ. Cutting to the core issue of apostates. They don't obey the Bible. They simply won't. Go back to John 1. This is brilliant because the one in John 1 is God that we're looking at. The creator has no problem debating apostates in John chapter 8. He is uncompromisingly exposing them for who they are while claiming to be full divinity. I beg of you all, listening remotely or here in this auditorium, I beg of you, I plead with you, Never have assurance of salvation based on profession. That is how you get saved. You receive Christ into your mind by faith, repenting of your sins. It is not how you test yourself. This is the great I am speaking. The one who in verse 3 of John 1 creates is the one informing us that the proof, not the way you get saved, but the proof of conversion is a hunger to obey the word of God. This is why in verse 1 he's called the word, the eternal logos. Everything is surrounding him as the living word, and then he gives us the written word. One writer said, by stressing the role of the word in creating the universe, John countered the false teaching that later developed into the dangerous heresy known as Gnosticism. The Gnostics embraced the philosophical dualism common to Greek philosophy that held that the spirit was good and matter was evil. They argued that since matter was evil, matter, physical matter, the good God could not have created the physical universe. In other words, Gnostics taught that since there's a physical universe, God couldn't have created it because all matter is evil. So they taught, instead, a series of spirit beings came from him until finally one of these descending emanations or spirits was evil and foolish enough to create the physical universe. But John here rejects that heretical view, strongly affirming that Jesus Christ was the Father's agent in creating everything. Therefore, folks, the physical creation is not evil. Okay? The physical creation is not evil. It's fallen, but it's not evil. Your body is not evil. Even though when you look in the mirror, you go like this. It's not evil. Is food evil? Yeah, well, there's foods that man has created, not God. The elements of all man-made food created are created by who? So we can't say that. And this, of course, is what Christ confronts later on. Nothing that enters into the mouth is evil. Your body does not sin. 
It's your mind that sins, that creates actions of sin. When, if I was to give you the finger right now, it's not my body sinning, it's not my hand, it's the mind that created that action. If my mouth speaks a sinful thing, it's my mind that created that. The mouth is not sinful. The words that come out of it can be sinful. Because in verse 3 of John 1, he only creates what is good and righteous. All things came into being through him. So what he created was in perfection. So God didn't cause the fall of man. God's not responsible for sin. Adam and Eve are. Started the downward trek towards hell for all of humanity. So your body isn't sinful. You are. You are in your mind. That's your heart. That's your soul. Synonymous terms. Mind, heart, soul. Your mind will live on after you die, either in hell, in eternal damnation, or in heaven with a new physical body. Number two in your note sheet. Going on to verse four. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The beginning of all life came through the word. The beginning of all life, fill in the blank. The beginning, all life came through the word. So JTA, John the Apostle, goes from speaking to the fundamental issue that we exist in verse 3 because of Christ, that all things are in existence because of Christ. You're here today because Christ made you brought initial creation into being, and all humans are under his creative control. In verse 3, he now transitions, John here does, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to the issue of life itself originating from Christ as well in verse 4. In him life was, as the Greek says. And auto zoe ein. In him life was. Always life emanates from him. Underneath that, then, letter A, let's start with that phrase, in him was life. In him was life. In him life itself comes from Christ, then. Point one under letter A. Life itself comes from Christ. Not through him, but in him. In him. He is the source. He owns life. It comes out of him. Not through him, but in him. So right on the blank lines. Life always resides in Christ. He's the owner, the source, the creator, the sustainer of all life. All life is sourced in him. This is the great crime of abortion, the great crime of murder. Humans don't have a right to take life. It comes from Christ. Christ has the right to take life because he's the creator and owner of life. And when Christ takes life, it's not murder. Murder is the illegitimate, unauthorized taking of human life. When Christ kills someone, he has the right to do that. He is not an illegitimate. He has the right. He owns everything. He creates and he destroys. Next, number two at the bottom of the sheet. Again, verb to be. We go back to the verb to be. This is very important. Notice verse one, word was with God. Verse 2, he was in the beginning. Verse 3, creation came into being at some point in time. Now it goes back to eternality. In him was life. All life always came from him. So this life is not referring to creation. Because creation did not always exist. This is spiritual life. 
Very important interpretive issue you need to realize. I'm not talking about physical life, though he controls all physical life. But that came into being in verse 3. But in verse 4, in him was life, not physical life. It's not referring to his own body. This is spiritual life. Because it says in verse 4, the life was the what? The light of men. So life is synonymous, life is synonymous with light, and light refers to morality, righteousness. So this tells us, not only by the verb to be was, but also by life was the light, tells us that this is spiritual life. We get right to the core issue. Christianity is not about social action. It's not about changing society or getting a political figure in power. Right at verse 4, in this major teaching on the person of Jesus Christ, we come to the core issue of Jesus Christ in relation to humanity. He's the one who owns and brings spiritual life. So number two, verb to be equals imperfect tense, always. Life was sourced in him. Imperfect tense means always in the past or the present. He brought with him life that he's always owned. He brought with him life for humanity, spiritual life. We're already dead. He didn't need to bring death. So he's bringing life into a dead world that has no life spiritually. He's the only source that can offer life. You can't find spiritual eternal life apart from Christ. I was reading uh, this week uh, that Jeremy Renner, who is the actor from Marvel, I think he played that guy, and uh, had his own snowblower run over him. It was on a hill in Nevada, and he was got this 20,000-pound snowblower. It's not a snowblower. It's an actual machine uh, with tractors. It's a tractor. And uh, it was on a hill, and he was trying to get one of his family members pulled out. And uh, he, I guess uh, he didn't get it into park all the way, and it started to roll. So he jumped up on the tread as it was rolling back downhill, and it sucked him right under the tread, the tractor tread, and 20,000 pounds ran over him. He had over 30 bones in his body and his whole chest cavity crushed. And uh, he's thankful for life every day. That's what he said this week. I'm thankful for every day of life. That sounds good. It's not good. Like most today, he's a pagan. He's reading a book by a guru and the guru basically says, there's nothing but the moment. That's all there is. That's why the culture talks about have epic moments. Live in the moment. That's a pagan statement. We don't live in the moment. We live in the will of God looking towards eternity. That's Christian. Jeremy Renner was tweeting or whatever they do, blogging. Dancing. I don't know what it is. Anyways, but anyways, in this article, he was talking about how he's, this, this book has changed his life. This is a special man with understanding that smell the flower, breathe the air, all you have is now. Pagan. No mention of God, no mention of Christ. It's irrelevant. Now, Jeremy Renner isn't against God. He just doesn't even exist in his mind. What a tragic culture we have. It was born in some semblance of Christianity and ends up like that. And how many people are going to go Google that book that he's reading? 
to get insights into living in the moment. If you're going to live for spiritual life, you must live for Jesus Christ. Because in verse 4, he is the source of spiritual light. It's him. This is foundational to our faith. Christ has life in himself. You can't get saved by believing in God. You must believe in Christ. If you want spiritual life, this is referring to Christ. This is the topic, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. The word is distinguished from the Father in verse 1. The word was with God. This is, the word is God who became flesh in verse 15, 14. And this is the one who has spiritual life. This is the issue right up front with Jesus Christ. He's not here to make your life better. So many Christians come into church, so to speak. They're looking for some experience. They look to get all their problems solved. They want their relationships fixed. And, and guys like me stand up in the pulpit. All they do is preach the Bible. And so many have come through these doors of this church in my 36 years here. I was looking for something more. I don't really want that. This is a foundational issue in verse 4 that Christianity isn't about fixing all your problems. It isn't about giving you an experience, money, making your life better in this world. It's about spiritual life. That's why he came. For the life was the light of men. He brought this spiritual life to men. What is life, number three, on the back side? What is life, or at the bottom? It's zoe. It's power to make alive. It is, it is power. Zoe refers to activity and power. And this is power to be made alive spiritually. If you don't like a definition using the word, life is being alive, I can sympathize with you is to be active, it is to be in existence, it is empowered by Christ himself. We're not here to get fixed, we're not here to get stuff from God, we're not here to have a miracle, feel good, have all our problems solved, that's heretical, that's false teaching. Right here in verse 4 of this gospel, it's made plain to us, Christ came to bring life. It says later on in John, he came to bring life abundantly, spiritual life abundantly, fully. This is the God we serve, Christ. If you're not interested in spirituality, if, and, and, and spirituality specifically in relation to light, which is holiness, if you're not interested in that, Christianity in the Bible is not for you. You're not saved. The goal here is to bring life to make you a light bearer in this world and to go to heaven one day. Next, on the back side, Zoe life is used uniformly throughout the Gospel of John to refer to spiritual life. The word occurs 36 times in Gospel of John and another 18 times in 1 John. What John is telling us, what the Spirit of God is telling us, is that Christianity through Jesus Christ is about spiritual life. And spiritual life is about you and I living for Jesus Christ, to do his will. The message that the charismatic heresy of America, the health and wealth false gospel is, is that Christ came to fix your problems. Abundant life refers to more money, better job, 
better place to live. That's not the message of Christianity. The message of Christianity is spiritual. Look at verse 7 of John 1. John the Baptist came as a witness to testify about the light, that's Jesus Christ, so that all might, what? Believe through him. It is about faith in Christ, living for Christ, obedient to Christ, manifesting spiritual life. What is spiritual life manifest? It is living in holiness, according to Second uh, Peter 1. It is, it is being manifested into the very character and glory of Jesus Christ as a perfect human. It is growing obedience and holiness of character. It is fruit-bearing. So, letter B, does life here refer to spiritual or physical life? It refers to spiritual life. Back to verse 4, because the life is the light. And light always refers to holiness and purity. Light always in the New Testament refers to holiness and purity. So you can't separate life from light. If you want to live for Jesus Christ, it means to live in holiness and purity. And to do that, you must know the word and grow in faith in the word and grow in holiness in the word. This is the life that Christ offers. If John the Apostle only wanted to talk about physical life, he would have used the Greek word bios, which describes physical life in 1 John 2.16, but he didn't. Zoe here is used in context to refer to spiritual life. This is the Christianity of the Bible. If that's not what you want, then you shouldn't be here and I shouldn't be here. Okay, you need to understand, this is about living for Jesus Christ. It is not about you and I and the problems we have wanting them fixed. It's not about getting a better life. You are severely misunderstanding the Christian message if that's your view. Verse 4, stare at it. In him was Zoe, spiritual life. And that life is the holiness and purity of men. And that light in verse 5 of holiness and purity shines in the darkness for men. He doesn't need it. We do. This is transformation, making you holy, righteous. That can only happen through conversion. You have to be born again. That's why if there's no change in your life and you leave here, listen and leave, and go live like those out there and live like the world and live like darkness and have the darkness of the world's goals, that's not life. He didn't transform you and I. If that's not, if that's your goal, then that's not what the Bible teaches. This is fundamentally different than most Christianity today, which is about fixing and making you better in this life. It's not about making you better physically. So to recap, letter C. Christ incarnated was true physical human. He was incarnated with a truly physical human life, but still being God, he is the only source of spiritual life. So the recap is this. Christ incarnated with true physical human life while remaining to be God and is the only giver of spiritual life to men. He was alive, gives spiritual life, and next month we'll talk about the light of men and what that entails. So we've learned two things today. We've learned from John chapter 8 you have no assurance of salvation if you don't love the Bible and want to obey it. 
should not have any assurance of salvation. If you're not into the word of God as a primary activity of your Christian life. And we learned here that your goal in verse 4 should be spiritual life through Christ. Because we learn on Sunday nights that spiritual life will always have a context of suffering. He's not here to fix your problems. Okay? He's here to be with you in your problems and to empower you to live for him in the midst of problems. We clear? Next time we'll talk about light. What happens when Christians or the church becomes darkened? They're not following the light of Jesus Christ. This is a sobering thing going on in the church today. The light has diminished. So where are the lost going to find truth if the church is not proclaiming the light of Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Help us, dear Father, to make sure our priorities are correct. We want holiness and purity as it can only come through a reading, studying, and applying of the word of life, the truth of the Bible. We're not here to find voices from heaven, you talking to us in our heads. We're not here to get miracles. We need truth. As only recorded from you for us in the Bible. May we hunger for it. In Jesus' name, amen.